Uh, it is an honor to talk about Jesus. Uh, it's my life, and it's the life for many of you. Yeah, it's just such a privilege. I was uh, reading the news this morning, and I saw an article. It says, a trans- transformation is happening in the church. I clicked on the article, and uh, it was talking about the resurrection of Jesus, but it was talking about how uh, the resurrection of Jesus is about other things. That resurrection of Jesus is reviving the hope of people for other kinds of things. And I quote this article and says, people aren't just celebrating the risen Christ this year. Some are giving thanks for the resurrection of hope in their life because the worst of the pandemic is finally over. Now, I am a big fan of the pandemic being over, but today we are celebrating only Jesus Christ risen. That's what it's about. Jesus went into the grave, and on the third day, Jesus walked out of the grave. And that changes everything. It changes everything. It's interesting how sometimes we can hear that and just move on, but if Jesus really rose from the dead. That changes absolutely everything. And today I want to show you what that means. Would you open your Bible, if you have one, to Luke chapter 24? We'll read a little bit of the story of the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, that's the woman, went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen Remember how I told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, and on the third day rise. They remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. He went home, marveling at what had happened. Skipping to verse 36. As they were talking about these things, this is the apostles now, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw his spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. Like that's a weird, they call it being emotionally flooded. They're joyful and they're fearful and it's everything combined. It's sort of when amazing news hits your ears and you you say, I can't believe it, and you're rejoicing. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? 
That's Jesus. On the morning he rose from the dead. Do you have anything to eat? They give him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. God, we invite you to bless this sermon. Bless your word. God, you know all and you see every heart and you love every heart. May every heart leave this place getting a sense of your love for them. Jesus, I thank you and I pray that you clothe this word in power, that we would grow in greater understanding of you. In your name I pray, amen. I'm gonna say one phrase and I want you to truly ask or look into your heart and say, what is your reaction? Jesus rose from the dead. What are you thinking? Now, I think that maybe someone here is thinking, eh, I don't believe that. Nope. And maybe somebody's thinking, yeah, and so? Anyway, great. You believe Jesus was not? He might have. That's great. Anyway, or maybe you're thinking, oh, yes. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and I'm overjoyed because Jesus rose from the dead. Those three positions, I believe, maybe it happened, and maybe it didn't, but if, even if it did, so what? Or you believe. Those same three positions are in this story. Notice the woman. The woman, the remarkable story about the woman is that they show up at the tomb, the angels tell them about Jesus, And they believed that Jesus rose from the dead before they saw that Jesus rose from the dead. They went and told the apostles. That's the woman. And then the apostles, they don't believe it. They think this is an idle tale. And maybe today you're thinking this. Listen, Eugene, like we're, we're way too advanced. Have you heard of science? Do you know about Elon Musk and how he's going to colonize other Mars, uh, other planets? Like we, we're way beyond that for somebody to rise from the dead. And you are filled with disbelief. Or maybe you're like Peter. Check out Peter. He goes, runs to the tomb, looks in, sees the linen, basically says cool, and goes home. He doesn't respond in faith like the women do. Uh, Peter's situation is basically a, so, so what? I don't know what's going on. Maybe that's you today. I want to talk to you about these three responses of disbelief, a so what, and a true belief. Let's talk about proof for the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I'm going to give you my version. 
But we see a couple of reasons we have to believe that the resurrection of Jesus did actually happen. Number one, the fact that in all four Gospels, there's four stories about Jesus rising from the dead, four different authors wrote it, there's different details, small details, some new, unique, but all four Gospels have this one crucial detail, and that is that the first eyewitnesses were women. Now, to us, it's like, big deal. Now, listen, back in the day, women did not have credibility. In fact, there was this pagan philosopher, Celsus, and Celsus was looking for an Achilles heel in, Christian, in Christianity in the second century to make fun of Christianity. It wasn't just a today thing on Facebook. It was a back then, back then thing. And he thought he found the reason why Christianity should be disproved. And he wrote that you Christians believe in the resurrection of Jesus and have staked this whole claim on the credibility of woman. See, if the stories were fabricated, this is embarrassing. This is not how you invent the story. There's only one explanation for why women were at the grave, seeing it empty and testifying, and it's this, that it actually did happen. Second piece of evidence the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. Now, the tomb was a famous place, okay? And everybody knew where the tomb is. And you could just go and check it out and see. And then the tomb was empty. They put Jesus in, and then Jesus was gone. It was, it was empty. Now, you might say, or somebody might say, well, Eugene, uh, the grave robber stole him. Now, that's interesting. Because when Jesus died, there was a custom. When a body died, they took linen and they put spices on it. And the linen was expensive. And also, we actually read that Nicodemus, one of the guys who helped bury and put Jesus in the tomb, brought 75 pounds of spices. Uh, that's about $150,000 today's day. I, I don't know. That's a commenta commentator said this. And the reason they would put spices is because it would be a way of honoring a body See, the body would start to decay and the stench and give off a stench. And so the loved ones would, would take this, all these spices and they would put, put it on these amazing linens and they would cover them and then they would wrap the body in it and then they would put the spices over the body. So listen, if it was the robbers, we have a problem. We would expect to see Jesus on the grave, in the grave, and linen off. But what does Peter see? Linen and Jesus gone. You might say, well, the disciples stole him. Well, yeah, but think about this for a moment. 50 days later or so, the disciples are on the streets willing to risk their life for this claim that their king, their Jesus is alive. What could possibly motivate them to do this? if they knew the body is somewhere back. You might say, well, Eugene, a lot of people give their life for religious causes. A lot of people give their lives and become martyrs for a belief they have. True, 
But disciples were in a unique situation where they could actually verify they were the first ones. And remember, their faith wasn't handed down that Jesus rose from the dead. They were the first ones, and they were in a unique situation to verify if it was true. In fact, nothing explains Christianity and the rise of Christianity by these ragged, uneducated men who risked their life and ended up paying with their lives than the resurrection of Jesus. And then we have the body itself. Jesus appears. And Jesus appeared to as many as 500 eyewitnesses. And they would examine him. Notice how Jesus helps, lets the, the disciples examine his body, his, um, his wounds, his feet, and then he eats a fish. Now, why would he eat a fish? He ate a fish because um, there, would be, uh, there was an understanding that ghosts can't eat something, and that's obviously true. I, I don't know about, I don't know the theology of ghosts, okay? I'm just saying, like, anybody who talks about ghosts, you never see them eating anything. And then this fish is, is gone. <laughs> this fish is gone from the table. Um, let me just stop right here. This is important. Um, the body of Jesus, the, the body that Jesus had was in some ways the same body. He rose from the dead and it's the same body. He had the wounds, he was recognizable, he ate. And at the same time, the body was different. He appeared and disappeared. He walked through a wall. So what we can say is that this body that Jesus had was same and different. Uh, This is important because when we celebrate that Jesus is alive, this is so key. What's so special about us saying Jesus is alive? I mean, think about this. Most of us here believe that there's life after death. Everybody lives after death. My grandpa is alive today. My uncle, who I never met because he passed away before I was born, is alive today. Why are we making it a big deal that Jesus is alive? When we are celebrating that Jesus is alive... We're not saying that Jesus is alive like everybody else is alive when they die. When we celebrate that Jesus is alive and has risen, we're saying he's the first one who rose from the dead in a new and glorious body, never to die again, to defeat death, and to have a transformed and a glorious body. And that's you next, by the way. Jesus is the first fruit. See, no one has ever had that claim. He had this glorious body. Like, I don't know about you, but our bodies are decaying, aren't they? We're getting old. You know the iPhone one that gives you all the pictures of you over the past couple years? I always look at that with like almost crying. Like, man, I was so young. And we're all getting older. We have illnesses. Some of us maybe have cancer. But you're going to get a body like Jesus. To every follower of Jesus, when you die, and there's going to be an intermediary stage, there will be, but one day you will have a glorious, amazing, beautiful machine of a body. I never planned to say machine, but I did. Now listen, um, the woman at the tomb, um, the empty tomb, um, Jesus appears, and I, uh, here's the thing, I, I'm, not, I'm, no, I'm, the, 
I'm under no illusion that I convinced you. If you're a skeptic, if you're an atheist, it's not like you're walking out of this saying, absolutely. I just want you to see that there's enough there, enough evidence, should your heart incline itself to be drawn in. There's enough evidence to believe. There's enough, there's sufficient evidence to persuade and satisfy the mind should the heart desire to believe that God does miracles and God raised Jesus from the dead. It's not an irrational thought. Oftentimes people say, you know, I I don't go to church. I don't believe in God because there's just not enough evidence. That may be the case, but oftentimes it's not an evidence issue. It's a heart issue. Maybe you lost a loved one and you're angry with God. and You're blaming it on the church, you're blaming it on evidence, but really there's something going on in your heart. Maybe you've been betrayed by a Christian. Whatever it is, if you're a skeptic, you're welcomed in to explore. And there's enough evidence there to believe that Jesus was from the dead. Now let's talk about the so what group. The so what group. This is the group that moves on with their life quickly and says, you do you, I'll do me, whatever floats your boat. Hey, we're tolerant here. You can believe what you believe. If it works for you, it works for you. And I want to say that that is absolutely, uh, that absolutely cannot be the case. If Jesus rose from the dead, it means four quick things. Number one, that Jesus is Lord. Okay? Jesus is Lord. Look at verse 8, oh, excuse me, verse 6. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. The angels are telling basically these women, because Jesus has risen from the dead, everything he says and everything he said is true. One of the things that Jesus said is that he is I am. I am is the personal name of God, Yahweh. Jesus is walking around and looks like me and you and says, I am. I'm God. If Jesus predicted his death, (laughs) we have to now listen to everything else he has to say, right? If If you can pull something off like that, we would have to listen to what you have to say. Jesus died having said that he is God and rose from the dead to prove it. Jesus is Lord. Now the word Lord means I have everything, I'm in charge. Uh, Excuse me, I own everything and I'm in charge. It means that everything belongs to Jesus. My favorite quote goes like this. There's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Jesus is Lord. Notice in our, um, in our text, in verse three, but then when, it, when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Luke would be using this word, Lord Jesus, this phrase, for the first time in his writing. And then he would write a sequel, Acts. 
And in Acts, he would use Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, 15 times. The resurrection of Jesus means Jesus is Lord, owner and in charge over the whole universe. And the way we respond is with full commitment and obedience. You can't just give Jesus one piece. I don't, let's talk about commitment. The best place to learn about commitment is Costco. Have you noticed? Like they make you commit to a membership. Basically, you have to pay in order to earn the right to pay. You walk in, you flash your card like, hey, I paid, I can pay now. The worst thing about Costco, and Albina and I probably get into a few fights every year, is I love Costco. It's a wonderland. But you have to buy everything in bulk. Have you noticed? You can't just buy a small bag of chips. You have to buy 50 bags of chips. The worst one is ketchup. Because you can't just go and buy a bottle of ketchup. You have to buy ketchup and relish and mustard and mayonnaise. I know. You have to buy the whole thing. And if you don't want to buy that, you have to buy two big tubs of ketchup. Just the way you can't get from Costco, just a piece, neither can you give God a piece of your life. He makes a claim on all of it. All of it belongs to me. Not just my Sunday at church, but my Monday. Not just my money, but my body. Not just my words, but the way I use my time. Everything belongs to him. Listen, that's, what, that's the reality of the resurrection. If Jesus rose from the dead, he's Lord. He's in, absolutely in control. This means that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. God's in charge. Um, this week, I went around the neighborhoods with a team of ours, and we put door hangers on doors. I got to be honest with you. It was so uncomfortable. There's so many door camps now. Every, I, I was like, you know, and I don't know about your social media choice, but my social media choice is next door. Okay, it's a neighborhood app. And on there, I'm always, and people are always posting like, hey, this person on camera appeared. They stole something. Hey, this person stole the mail. And I'm like, man, I don't want to end up on that there. <laughs> I don't want somebody to be saying, hey, local pastor, porch pirate, <laughs> and, and have a scandal. And so it's just every door you come on, and it's like, ah, oh, man, like, you have to smile, or you just kind of put your, your door hanger, and you run, and, um, and I promise, it's a silly example, but this whole time, I'm there thinking, it's not about me. It's not I who live. Jesus lives in me. If I need to be a fool for his sake, I'll be a fool. If I need to risk my reputation, why not? Jesus is Lord. Let us live with this, not just with what I want. You know, every day I spend a thousand, I say a thousand times, I want, I want, I want, I need, I need, I need, me, 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 me. But a follower of Jesus doesn't just say, I want, but they also say, here's what Jesus wants. I want to be angry and to yell at my kids. Jesus wants me to bless. I want to gossip. Jesus wants me to practice self-control. I 
want to be selfish, but Jesus wants me to be sacrificial, and I'm learning to submit to his voice and not mine. He is Lord. Is anybody here tired of being Lord? Is anybody here tired of being Lord of their own lives? It's just falling apart, and you don't have to be Lord of your life. You can come and surrender to the real Lord and get off your throne and let God rule in your life. He be the center of your life. Now, some of you might say, yep, 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 there it is. Christianity is slavery. Yep, submitting to Jesus. Yep, that's everything I knew Christianity to be. He is the only master who gives his life and lays it down for your life. He's the only master who gives you water to drink so you'll never thirst and bread so you'll never be hungry. Practically, satisfaction. He's the only master who shares his inheritance and makes you a follower of his, a co-heir. Money, career, sex, life enjoyments, and on and on and on are cruel masters. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, everyone else and everything else is a thief and a robber. Only God is the master who laid down his life for you. You know, to follow after Jesus, do you, do you know when I think Albina likes me the most? She loves me, but she sometimes also likes me. And she likes me, you know when? when I become a better slave to Christ. My life gets better. When I become a better slave of Jesus, I am kinder to people. When I become a better slave of Jesus, I steward my time better. When I become a better slave of Jesus, I have better priorities. When I become a slave of Jesus, my life gets better. But you can't say that about any other master. You become a slave of money, and your relationships will suffer. You become a slave of career and you will sacrifice your children. You become a slave of people's approval and you will pay with anxiety and a loss of peace. I don't know about you, but I love to surrender to Jesus. He loves you. He satisfies you. He leads you. That's just one point. Jesus is also, so first point, Jesus is Lord. Second point is Jesus is Savior. Uh, notice in verses 44, these words, these, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he appeared there, he opened their minds to understand scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Here's point number two, Jesus is Savior Jesus is Lord. Everything Jesus says is true. Everything said about Jesus is true because he rose from the dead. And what's said about Jesus? That he will be the one who will take away our sins. 
Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. Have you ever wondered the, wondered the question, saving us from what? What does Jesus, I mean, what, what do these Christians make this big deal about salvation? Salvation from what? Every single one of us is a violator of God's perfect law. Every single one of us is a sinner. You notice how many times we mess up during the day, during the week? Every single one of us is a sinner. Some Christians, you know, I used to hear this phrase. I used to actually use it. And we would say something like, hey, Jesus dined with sinners. And that's an example for how we are to dine with sinners, as if to say, we are not sinners. It can only be said of Jesus that he dined with sinners. All of us are sinners dining with sinners all the time. We are fallen. We stumble. We hurt. We gossip. We hate. We disagree. We lust. We are selfish. And every sin makes us guilty. Guilty. It means we have a debt that must be paid. And what's coming one day is that every person will stand before God's judgment when you die. And your account of works and all of your sins will be brought up. And you will be guilty because you have violated God's rules. And justice must Stand, justice demands a payment. Unless. See, Jesus comes and says, I'll pay for it. Have you ever had anybody pay for you? At Starbucks, pay it forward, anybody? How amazing is it? It makes you feel incredible. This is a billion times more important is Jesus saying, I'll pay for your guilt. I'll pay for your punishment. I'll pay for all the ways you mess up and I'll die on the cross for your sins. In Romans 5, 9, the Bible says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, that's Jesus, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Because Jesus rose from the dead, what Jesus did on the cross, he did achieve. Because Jesus rose from the dead, everything scripture testifies and says of Jesus as the lamb who takes away our sin is true. And today, you can live in forgiveness. Today, you don't have to pay for your guilt. Jesus offers to pay it. Third, because Jesus rose from the dead, he is Lord. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he is Savior. Because Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus sends. Notice what Jesus says in verse 46, the second half. The repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. If Jesus rose from the dead, you and I cannot be silent. If Jesus rose from the dead, 
you and I cannot keep this church thing and this circle and our, uh, our seat to ourselves. We are to tell others. In Matthew, I love this, this, this story, this account. In Matthew 28, the woman come to the grave. The angels talk to the woman. And then they say this, come. Notice the second half at the end of verse 6. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Here's what God is calling you to. Come and see, go and tell. Come and see and go and tell. Come and see and go and tell quickly. Come and see and I'll just move on with my life. No. Come and see evangelism. Like, one thing I love about our church and the way God's leading us is one of the big arrows of our church, like what are we about, is it's reaching the community. We are called to be the light. We are called to let others know about this amazing Jesus who rose from the dead and has the forgiveness of sins. You can support the work of evangelism financially. You can support it with actually talking to people about Jesus. You can support it through intercessory prayer, that is prayer on other people's behalf. Whenever you're praying and you're not praying about yourself, that's intercessory prayer. You can also spread the gospel by being the light. But if Jesus rose from the dead, he sends you to tell others. I pray and I hope that I will only increase in boldness, but also my light would shine all the greater so I can share to others. And the fourth thing that that happens, because Jesus rose from the grave, Jesus gives. Notice the last thing Jesus says. In verse 49, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is a tremendous promise. Because Jesus rose from the dead, God sends his spirit to live inside of you. God who lives on the inside of you. Think about that. Look, never, let's try to always be amazed because this is amazing. The God of the universe I don't even know how to explain that. Creates the universe. Holds it by the word of his power. Is infinite in his love. Infinite in his power. And he decides to live in a frail, fallen body as mine. He's on the inside of me. And he moves on the inside of you. What does that mean? Number one, in Romans 8.16... The spirit of God in us testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Can you imagine? Life is hard. You're getting squeezed. And there's someone on the inside of you giving you the confidence that I have a God who loves me. Testifies. Tells us, speaks to us, calls us out, lets us know we are God's children. The Spirit of God also produces fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, 
through 23. The, uh, listen, this is like the best list ever. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When the Spirit of God lives on the inside of us, the Spirit of God produces love and joy and peace. How many of you are like, I would want that? That's the promise of God. Because Jesus rose from the dead, the Spirit of God is now a free gift to you. It's a tremendous promise. So let me wrap up. We talked about the first group, the skeptics, those who do not believe. There is enough there to persuade the mind. I'm absolutely persuaded. I know many of you are persuaded. We talked about the so what group. People who say, well, who cares if Jesus rose from the dead? That's you. We're saying no. Jesus rose from the dead. He's Lord. He's Savior. He sends. He gives. And now let's end with this group. It's responding in trust. Uh, the woman come to the grave. They see it. The angels tell him. And like I said in the beginning of the sermon, they believe. They believe. They believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, what does belief mean? What does faith mean? Now, in our time, in, you know, in the United States, in the Western world, faith is kind of like an intellectual thing, right? It's what you know. That's not really what the biblical word is. The better word for faith is trust. They trusted that Jesus was born, uh, was raised from the grave. Have you realized how trust always has an action to it? Um, you, can never, you can never say this. I trust someone and never actually do something about it, right? It doesn't work. Like one more story from my family, but just imagine with me if my wife, Albina, was going on a trip. She left me the kids, which is a, a lot, three of them, fourth on the way, and I had to take care of them. And she says, I trust you. I trust you. And then she flies to another state, and then she calls every hour. Hey, is everything okay? Second hour. Hey, did you feed the kids? Third hour. Hey, is anything broken? Fourth hour. Hey, anybody break a bone? Fifth hour. What are they doing now? At some point, you'd be like, hey, do you trust me? You don't trust me. Trust always has an action that is attached to it. Trust always means that you do something with it. So here's my question to you. Do you trust that Jesus paid for your sins? If you do, then you just can't, you just can't leave and not be changed. To trust that Jesus died for you means to come in prayer and say, Jesus, I've sinned. I'm guilty. But I trust that you paid for my sin. And I trust that you have paid all of my sin and I am absolutely and totally forgiven. 
I'm going to be praying right now with you, you, you here today. And I want to pray with two groups. The first group is if you want to be forgiven. You've never put your faith in God, and today you trust him. Something inside of you says this is true. Jesus is true. Jesus rose from the dead. He took my sin. You want to give your heart to him. I'm going to be praying with you. And again, trust involves action. Trust means we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I've sinned, but I trust that you paid for my sin. I'll be praying with you. And the second group that I want to pray with is maybe you're here today and you've been backsliding. You've been in and out. Drawing to Jesus, walking away from Jesus. You've been Lord of your own life and you're tired today. You've been running your own show and today you recognize that you don't belong on the throne of your life and you want Jesus to get on. You want to get off and you want to surrender your whole life to him. Maybe you, over time, you've taken over, you know, you, you drifted, but today you want Jesus to be Lord of your life. You want to surrender all of your life to him. With every head bowed, if we could bow, bow our heads right now, I won't be um, calling you to the front, but I do just want to see your hand. If If you're here today and you trust that Jesus paid for your sin and you want him to pay for your sin, or if you're here today and you've been Lord of your own life, running your own show, I want to pray with you. Would you raise your hand if that's you right now? Yeah, you can raise your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see hands all over this room. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you so much for what you have done for us. Jesus, thank you so much that you have died and rose in victory. And God, my heart right now unites with all those hearts who trust you, who trust you for forgiveness. God, make it evident in their hearts. Make it obvious to them. May they rejoice in the freedom and the joy that you have paid for their sins. And God, I'm also praying for those of us here today who've been running the show, who've been sitting on the throne of our life, but you rose from the grave. And that means you've been exalted to Lord Jesus. And so right now we're getting off Forgive us, God. Life is about you. Life is to serve you. In your name I pray, amen.